Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Bulls Beat Podcast Show, the Chicago Bulls Podcast. Welcome back to the Bulls Beat Bulls fans. Doug Cohen is here with you discussing our Chicago Bulls, and they have hired Billy Donovan. My apologies if you're one of the 35 or so people who snuck into my third podcast since restarting about assistant coaches who might become the Bulls' next head coach. And then that is all immediately made worthless just hours later as the Bulls make this uh, large announcement. And I think it's great news for several reasons that have absolutely nothing to do with Billy Donovan. And so I'm going to break down all the important things around uh, this signing, at least from my perspective. So number one, the first thing that I thought about this was there's like no leaks in this organization. You've seen guys like Joe Cowley is saying, oh, the Bulls are going to do this. The Bulls are going to do that. And he's you know pretending he has all these inside sources and whatever. And it's all bullshit. Like all he did was just take guesses about things that seemed reasonable. Like he called you know the people front runners. And it's not just Cowley. It's other guys too. Like this guy's this, this guy's that. It's all based on nothing. These guys are just operating in a vacuum. They're not telling anyone anything. And you know what? That makes perfect sense. These beat reporters have no relationship with our, our uh, Arturus Kunisavas yet. They have no relationship with Mark Eversley yet. Maybe at some point they will, but they don't have that now. There's no reason they would have that because they just have gotten here. So if there's any inf- inside information that's actually out there on the Bulls, expect it to come from like a Philadelphia beat reporter or a Denver beat reporter, at least for a little bit of time, or some kind of national coverage guy. Like the local guys, they haven't had a chance to form these relationships yet. So if you listen to, like, say, Casey Johnson, he was saying, ah, I think they might keep Boylan. And he said, this is why I think that might be the case. But, you know, he didn't say, I know this is going to happen. He said, ah, it could be either way. These are the reasons why I think it might be. These are the reasons why I didn't. And I don't have any inside information on this. Uh, As you can tell, I like Casey Johnson. But anyway, moving past that, I love the fact that the Bulls are operating in this more professional way, that they have not having like leaks, that they're not forecasting what they're doing. This does make it a little bit more frustrating as a fan, right? Like you're not actually going to get some of this information and know what's going on. They're being a little bit more opaque. There was a lot of angst about not firing Boylan earlier, even though it was totally irrelevant. You know, as soon as they fired him, it didn't matter that they didn't fire them in, in June. And I made the same comment like this whole time on the Real Gym forums or on Twitter or wherever. I said, look, it only matters that we didn't fire Boylan if we bring him back for the season. Like if you fire him in August, it makes no difference. We've not lost out on any coaching candidates, you know, that we were interested in. And as it turns out, the coaching candidate that we did bring in and the guy we want and a great hire was not even available when all these people were complaining that we, you know, didn't fire Boylan earlier. So all of that angst was not in that they didn't fire him at that moment. The angst was all in the fact that they didn't know it was going to happen and we were scared it wasn't. We don't yet have this trust. And so, uh, you're going to have to deal with more of that, right? You're not going to get all this information and the timeline you want, and it's not going to be all up front. You're not going to know what's happening until it happens. And that's actually good in terms of the way the front office operates. It's good strategically, but it can be a little frustrating as a fan. So I'm happy about that, even though we may not have quite as much stuff telegraphed as in the past. I think that's overall a good change for the organization. Secondly, uh, the Bulls' makeover of not acting like a small market team continues. So they first, they brought in, you know, it was, we expect to be a pretty high-priced GM. Uh, They brought in a lot of front office talent, and we feel that they've probably paid a lot of money to bring in a lot of front office talent, and they've expanded their front office. And now they're doing the same with the coach. 
They brought in a real legit coach who's got a lot of experience, who definitely wasn't cheap. He just finished a $30 million contract with the Thunder, $6 million per year. It was five years, $30 million. I don't know what the Bulls paid him yet. It's not out there yet. Maybe it'll be out there at some point. I expect it will because these things usually are for the higher paid coaches. The lesser paid coaches, not so much. But the guys making over more than $5 million a year, almost always their numbers are out there at some point. Uh, so assuming it's out there and we kind of find out what it is, I mean, we did with the last few Bulls uh, more profile hires. Then uh, let's just say it's $30 million for five years. Just say it's the same contract. I think it, probably it's got to be similar to that. Uh, I mean, Donovan could just walk into a college job and probably get $4 million a year uh, without blinking and not have anywhere near the pressure that he'll have in the NBA. So I think it's at least that, but hard to say. Let's just, let's just say for some reason it's around that money. Like that would be the most the Bulls have ever paid any coach guaranteed on a contract ever. And it'll be the most by a gazillion that they've ever paid anyone on their first contract with the Bulls. If you look at the way the Bulls coaching hires have gone over the last hires going in reverse order, if I don't screw this up, it's Jim Boylan, you know, assistant coach paid basically nothing. It's like around one point something million a year. Uh, before that, you had Hoiberg, who was a college coach, but no pro coaching experience. So he, he did have some other NBA work. Uh, I think Hoiberg was actually, it didn't work out, but I think it's a, a resume perspective. He was a viable candidate. You know, was his was $25 million, five years, uh, $25 million, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, then you go back to that and you have Thibodeau, whose first deal was, I think, like three years, $9 million, And then he got a, a rich extension after that, which I think was, I want to say it was $24 million in total. I'd, I'd have to go back. I might be incorrect on that. Uh, and then prior to that, you had Vinny Del Negro. Prior to that, you had uh, Scott Skiles. So of those coaches, Skiles was the only one who had previous head coaching experience when the Bulls hired him. And he was still kind of like an off-the-scrap-heap uh, type of head coach. So this is, this is a very different thing. I mean, not only did the guy Bulls go with a guy who had previous head coaching experience, they went with the guy who probably is viewed as the, the best candidate on the market. Uh, like, I mean, I, like I, I think on the open market now, and, and maybe you could say Tom Thibodeau would have been that best candidate, but clearly the Bulls weren't going to go that direction. Uh, Billy Donovan might have the best resume of any of the coaches on the market. I mean, they went with like a premier guy and they're probably going to pay premier dollars. And they're going to do that during this season with coronavirus going on where their revenues might be way down. And so that with the makeover of the front office as well, it is a sign that the Bulls are willing to spend the money and that they're willing to shed this reputation and that the Jerry Reinsdorf cheap out on everything philosophy is maybe making way uh, for a Michael Reinsdorf, more spendy uh, philosophy. Now, so far, that spendy philosophy is impacted in areas where there's not a lot of cost. Like the difference in total cost between an elite head coach and elite front office and getting like, say, an average uh, head coach in an average front office, we'll say it's maybe like $6 million a year across all the positions added up together. It's not like a very high level of cost. Uh, so the are brings more spendy, but they're not being more spendy in the areas where the cost can really ramp up, which is player talent. And that brings me to my next point, which is how much difference can a head coach make? And I, I, I brought this up on the last show with all the assistants at the end. So you're going to have to listen to this rant again. If you listen to that show, I apologize, but coaching is a threshold skill. It is not a skill where like the more talent you have, it works out. And I, I make this example with relationships. So if you're a significant other is, you know, you find them to be very attractive. There's still some level of attractiveness they could have beyond very attractive to you, right? But once you hit some level of very attractiveness, 
that additional level of attractiveness doesn't really move the needle much. It just doesn't matter. Like you find them very attractive to be amazingly attractive. It doesn't add that much value to you. Uh, yeah, it's a little more valuable, but not that much once you hit this this certain level of attractiveness. That's because it's a threshold. Once you reach the threshold, the additional value just isn't that much. Now, you take something else like, uh, you know, how well you connect with them on a personal level. Uh, that That has additional value no matter how much deeper that connection is. There's no point where like being more deeply connected with someone doesn't add more value to you in a relationship. You know, if you start with someone who's like, oh yeah, we have the same sense of humor, but then you also find out like they're super into the bulls and then, uh, you know, you find out that they're uh, super into some other thing you like, like each edition of one of those things adds like a lot of value to you. You know, like, oh, we also like the same foods. Oh, we're also the same politically. Oh, we also share the same religious beliefs. Like each one of those things pulls a significant conflict like out of your life. Oh, we each have like the same views on money. Like, you know, each one of those things adds a lot of value. So like the, the certain things that like the more you have it, no matter how much more it is, it's always valuable. And so when you compare that to the NBA, player talent is in that second group. The gap between Zach Levine, who's a good player, and LeBron James, who is an absolutely elite best player in the league caliber player, is like 20 wins on your season. Uh, like, I don't know, you know, which place you think, the who you think the 15th place coach is in the league. I'm going to throw out the name Quinn Snyder. I, I don't know. I've not actually gone through exhaustively and, and kind of rated the coaches. But let's just say Quinn Snyder is coach of the Utah Jazz. Yeah, I don't think anyone is sitting here going, wow, Quinn Snyder sucks. That dude is awful. Maybe there's some people, probably Utah fans. Uh, but, you know, let's just say he's the 15th best coach in the NBA. Maybe he's the 10th. Maybe he's the 20th, whatever. But just say he's the 15th for the sake of argument. I don't know who you even think the best coach in the NBA is. Is it Greg Popovich? Is it Steve Kerr? Is it Eric Spolstra? Whoever you think that that best coach is, if he were coached the Jazz, do you think they would win like 10 more games? Like, no, clearly not. But if you took an average player on the Jazz, like, uh, you know, whoever, like uh, Mike Connolly, and you replaced him with LeBron James, you think they might win 10 more games? Hell yes. Hell yes. They probably would win a title. Like, so, so that is the difference between replacing like an average player with an elite player and like an average coach with like an elite coach. It just, it just, you know, once you get past a certain point, it doesn't matter that much. So Billy Donovan is a guy who clearly passes the threshold test. Like he's clearly an NBA caliber coach. He's going to pass the threshold test. So I'm excited for that. I think, I think he's a good coach. I'm glad the Bulls did this though. But for a lot of those other reasons I mentioned earlier is kind of what draws a lot of excitement out of me in this. So now let's talk a little bit about Billy Donovan as a coach, the actual coach. I think one of the quotes, you start looking up stuff on Billy Donovan, and it was from Dennis Schrader, and he said, like, sometimes, you know, Billy Donovan listens to you too much. He needs to put his foot down more. So it's like a very Hoiberg feel to that statement, right? This is, so he's, he's definitely a player's coach. He's one who's going to listen to his players. Uh, he's going to hear them. He's going to take their opinions into account. And maybe uh, he's not going to provide the same level of accountability that you might like. So if we were to kind of compare him to recent Bulls coaches, he's more of in the, the Fred Hoiberg or Vinny Del Negro camp than the Tom Thibodeau, Scott Skiles, Jim Boylan camp. And so I, I mentioned these guys, you know, Thibodeau and Skiles were hard asses, but they really moved the needle. Jim Boylan tried to be a hard ass and really did not move the needle. Uh, Fred Hoiberg and Vinny Del Negro were players coaches. I don't think we think either of those guys really moved the needle. 
Uh, so, but he's, he's kind of more in, in that. And so if I want to name a great players coach, maybe I'd say Phil Jackson, you know, who was also a bulls coach who seemed to, to move the needle. So I'm not saying that one, one philosophy has to work over the other. It you know, definitely depends on your players. Definitely depends on your talent. You know, the bulls, let's be honest, they had a lot of problems last year with injuries. They had a lot of things that didn't have to do with coaching. Uh, so some of it is going to be around the teaching, you know, whether the bulls, what they need philosophically in place. I mean, I think you, you always need to be hard enough that your guys are working hard, uh, that they're disciplined, that they're doing the right things. You got to run practices hard. I think being empathetic towards players and listening to them and managing relationships is always important, but you don't want to lack that discipline. You don't want to let the players go wild. I think there was some note of that in his Thunder tenure, which was problematic for the Thunder. I mean, you saw them just dramatically change the way they did things with Westbrook and Chris Paul, and those are two very different players, and, and maybe they also have two very different skills. But Billy Donovan was known as a ball movement type coach in college. And, you know, he came to the Thunder and that was one of the things I really wanted to see more of because Russell Westbrook was, you know, kind of a ball pounder isolation player. And they never changed that until they got rid of Westbrook. And so to some degree, kind of like I said earlier, players are what's moved the needle. You kind of have to fit what you do to the players that you have and the style that you have. They radically shifted things once Paul was in there. So whether that was Donovan not being able to put his stamp on the team because he just didn't have enough assertiveness to do it or whether it was Donovan recognizing that like, yes, theoretically we should pass the ball more, but with these players, that's really not what their strength is. And then once we changed kind of personnel, everything shifted because that was what their strength was. I think that's a difficult thing to ascertain, uh, you know, and, and it just depends whether you want to take a glass half full or glass half empty approach to him. So we'll have to just wait and watch and see, you know, looking at the Bulls players right now, I don't know how you implement a high passing offense with these guys. Like there's not like a lot of great passers on this team. Every time you move the ball and you pass it, there's like a little bit extra risk for deflection, for steals, whatever. So if you pass the ball a lot, you know, the other advantage of that, the, the plus is that you can move the defense much faster. You can get the defense out of position much faster. So there's like a little bit higher risk. There's a little bit higher reward. If you have really good talent around this, you know, then that reward is going to pay off a lot more than that risk does. If you have bad talent around this, then that risk is going to be uh, a lot bigger than that reward is potentially. And I'm not sure that the Bulls have enough passing talent. Kobe White, not a great vision guy. Zach Levine, not a great vision guy. Uh, Sadoransky, I think, maybe okay. Uh, you know, Chris Dunn, maybe okay. And, and who knows if Dunn will be back. You know, like, I just don't, I don't see this team like our big men. Uh, Wendell Carter was a, a very good passer in college, but we've not seen him as a, as a great passer so far. Lowry Markadin, I don't think is a great passer. You know, Otto Porter, I think is fine. But it's not, it's not like a roster up and down that has great passing talent. So it'll be interesting to see if the Bulls end up shifting to a, a, a different offensive uh, system. And I mean, I'm sure they will, but like what that system looks like. And if it becomes pass heavy, like Donovan was known for in college and how the Thunder became under Chris Paul, or whether he tries to fit a little bit more to the town. I think that, that'll be an interesting thing. I also think it'll be interesting to see how these players react. I think Donovan has a great reputation as, as being a player development type coach. You know, certainly at Florida, where that, that team won two titles without really guys that, you know, you, they, they developed into title caliber players. Like they weren't like the, the hottest recruits. You know, and a couple of them got drafted highly. You know, a few people from that team stuck in the NBA for a while. Obviously, Horford and Noah for a long time you know, Corey Brewer for, for a little bit less time, but you know, it was a team that developed into, to those, those types of players. And so we'll see, we'll see how he's able to help the player development. I think that is maybe the main thing for a young team that you're looking for. Now, 
from Donovan's perspective, this is also interesting. You know, he kind of left the Thunder because maybe he didn't want to go through a rebuilding process. Maybe it was just that the Thunder didn't want to pay him. Like maybe they said, yeah, Donovan might be a fine guy to go through this process. You know, he's, he's, he's a player development coach. He would probably be great bringing in a lot of young players. You know, they mutually parted ways. It may have ended up really that like, yeah, we still like him, but we just, we just don't think based on where our team is going to be over the next three or four years that we want to shell out another $30 million to the head coach. Like that just seems a little expensive relative to what we think we're going to be doing. You know, it seems like the Thunder might try to move Chris Paul. They might then go into kind of this deeper rebuild mode and, and we'll see what happens. But I mean, clearly right now, the Thunder have more talent than the Bulls do. I mean, it's, it's like not even close. So from a talent perspective, he actually downgraded. So my, my guess is at the heart of this thing, he wasn't like, oh man, I, I just hate what I have going on here on the Thunder and need to, to get to a, a better place with more talent. Like that didn't happen here. Uh, so my guess is that, that there was probably a pretty big financial component to this. I also think that's interesting, and this gets back to my earlier, earlier point. The Bulls committed major money to a head coach to facilitate a rebuild. You know, this is one of those things where, like, I feel you could have easily gone with one of these assistants. If you hired one of the guys I, I mentioned on the podcast yesterday, you would have been totally fine with it. You would have been totally fine if, if Ime Udoka or Adrian Griffin or uh, Wes Unsell Jr. or Darvin Ham, you'd have been fine with one of those guys as assistant. They were guys who have very good resumes, who, who deserve to get a shot at a head coaching job at some point in the near future. And, and almost certainly, like the guys on this list, you know, a lot of them probably will get that shot. And so you would have been fine with that if we hired one of those guys. And it would have cost you half as much money. But the Bulls went all in on an expensive coach and a rebuild. And I think that just shows something very positive about their their view to, and their approach and their their change over some of these things. I think it definitely means that Reinsdorf was not nearly as involved. It'll be interesting to see what details come out because Reinsdorf is always kind of blessed all the head coaching hires. And Arturis may have more autonomy in what he's doing here than John Paxson and Gar Foreman ever did. It definitely seemed while Paxson and Foreman were there that there are certain things for sure that Reinsdorf was blessing in terms of spending in terms of other stuff like that. And maybe that is finally shifting. And I think that would be the best news for Bulls fans. And it makes sense. Maybe there's still someone who's on top of that, but maybe that's Michael Reinsdorf now. And Michael Reinsdorf is a huge Bulls fan. Grew up in the Jordan era. Is super excited about the Bulls. I shouldn't say grew up, but like, you know, whatever. In his, in his young adult prime, <laughs> it was a Jordan era. Like this, is, this is a guy who is super excited about the Bulls, not super excited about the White Sox. And I think that's that's actually a meaningful change in, in terms of how things go. So we'll see how we'll see how all this plays out in the long run. But I think you have to be positive about this. I'm not going to sit here and tell you Billy Donovan is one of the top five coaches in the NBA, but I don't think it matters. I think he's a top 15 coach. And I think if you have that, you're basically it's like a wash. And it's great to see that the Bulls went with someone who's proven, who we feel confident, we know is going to be a solid coach, whether he's the best or not, we know he's going to be solid. And I don't think the Bulls are going to lose like five, six games next year because they don't have a quality coach. And I think that that ultimately is good news and that they might be willing to just spend more money overall. And we've seen this whole offseason is kind of like an organizational shift away from small market to bigger market mentality. And I think you have to be happy about that as a Bulls fan. That'll do it for this edition of the Bulls Beat. You can reach out to me on Twitter, Doug underscore Tonus, or the Real GM Forum, where I have a Bulls Beat thread open. If you ever have any questions you'd like me to discuss on the show, and I'll talk to you guys soon.